This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Historic Souvenirs presents A Cyclist's Intrepid Journeys, adapted from his book Pedal Power, Roy Sinclair and his partner Harlico from Japan discover in Scotland Rick's Bike Shed. Sleepless nights by firelight, the stranger in this town, heard by talking long and singing songs. And with peaceful friends There is no richer wine Beatrice, our bed and breakfast hostess, serves the ample breakfast, including the traditional black pudding that often uses Scott oatmeal for its filler, lending it a more crumbly, rougher texture than the related dish of the haggis. It fortifies us for a detour from Dumfries up the Neath Valley, and beyond Carrenbridge to a castle commanding a view of the valley. In 1984, aerial photographs show an outline that archaeologists think is likely from Roman times. Experts who excavate the site verify on the TV program Time Team that the fort once served as a stronghold of Clan Douglas. Close by is, still standing and intact, the Pink Palace a popular bridal venue and tourist attraction, home to Scott Piers descended from the first Duke of Queensbury, William Douglas. It was he who, 400 years ago, had built in Renaissance-style Drumlandric Castle of distinctive pink sandstone, its 120 rooms, 17 turrets, and four towers have ornamental gardens open to public view and a home to the valuable art collection, including the Rembrandt painting, An Old Woman Reading. Stolen is Leonardo da Vinci's painting, Madonna of the Yarnwinder, depicting Mary as mother of Jesus, the Christ child. It's two New Zealand tourists who see the criminals making the getaway through a castle window. Realising the New Zealanders spotted them with the painting, one announces, Don't worry, love, we're the police, this is just practice. A year elapses before an English lawyer, apparently liaising with the criminals, has offered police the return of the painting through another lawyer's office. Two police, posing as an art expert and an agent for the Duke, negotiate the painting's surrender. It's taken to a Glasgow office, which the police raid, ensuring the national art treasure is kept for public exhibition, entrusted to the Duke, whose castle is also home to many other paintings, tapestries and objects of art.
Rick's bike business, behind Drumlane Rick Castle, captures lots of loyal patronage from locals. But he also promotes nearby Thornhill as a bicycle town, recommending cycling a route several more kilometres through forest before resuming the motorway, in this modest way, making the experience seem like really getting away from it all. About 1870, in the valley of the River Neath, a horse attuned to the quiet life of the country is shocked by the sudden sound of a locomotive's whistle on the adjacent railway line. The horse flays, its legs cutting grooves in the stone parapet as it falls with the young rider. It's a good drop to the river, which drowns the horse, but miraculously leaving the lad uninjured. A bronze plaque records the incident, taken as a warning to disobedient youth anywhere. It transpires the lad's only task is to lead the horse across the bridge, not to ride it over. We meet a cyclist proudly riding one of Rick's custom-made mountain bikes. Its rider, Adam Anderson, knows well this crossing of the River Neath at Ardock, pointing out to us where the bridge bears the scrapes of the horse's hooves in its desperate fall. Adam reassures us, taking a narrow road up the valley is better than to cross over that bridge onto a busy motorway. We're a cheerful threesome enjoying the environment. Adam directs our attention to an open-cast coal mine hugging the horizon. As we pass a row of one-man dwellings, Adam explains these forlorn and lonely huts were where lived miners working in their inherently dangerous occupation in days before modern open-cast mines and automation brought large-scale redundancy. It reminds me of the early coal-mining immigrants on the West Coast who wrote home to say, "'Here's plenty of work. Come to New Zealand where you can stand up to work in the mines.'" We arrive in Auchinleck, a welcome rest in this town's railway hotel, facing a future that typifies other parts of Ayrshire. Coal's its main industry. Its 7,000 residents, once having a rail station, have seen it shrink to merely an open shelter on a platform. Eight trains a day each way pass by, but don't generate the business they once did. By 2020, Passenger patronage plummets. The station hotel of Auchinleck, where we stay, is destined to close its doors in 2020, unable to sustain viable business. It's the way of the world. Next day, as we come closer to Glasgow, we note a changing scene as towns or cities show more involvement in industry. Kilmarnock, with carpet factories, textiles and ironworks, has suburbs uninspiring and even austere. A few miles farther on, as we pause outside a cafe, a local approaches to warn it charges too much, recommends an alternative cafe. He says his work is as a steam engine driver and must soon be off to the world's greatest steam fair, somewhere in Britain. He then asks my occupation, should I say tram driver or bicycle rider? When, with a huge grin, he comes up with an answer. Ah, you can see you're a milestone inspector. Go so slow you inspect each one of them, as slow as my bloomin' steam traction engine. 
I'm chuckling about this unusual encounter when I miss our next turn. The land we're touring is where archaeological excavations show Neolithic life thrives as long ago as 3500 BC. It supports the claim that the village of Drakehorn is the oldest continuously occupied village in all Britain. It's also the birthplace of a baby destined to transform travel everywhere. Inventor, veterinarian and businessman John Boyd Dunlop. It's a quiet community now that trains no longer rumble through Dreghorn Station. The rail's gone, but their route now part of the National Cycleway Network. A name long linked to lands in North Ayrshire is Dunlop. As we're cycling only a few miles from a village called Dunlop, we make a detour. We find here's a railway still running trains through regularly after 150 years. But it's not in respect of rail that the name Dunlop is associated, but in road transport, the pneumatic tyre. An inquiring mind leads the young John Dunlop, playing with his young son, to consider how the tricycle could cushion the bumps of cobbles, for instance. His mind shifts to the rubber tubing familiar to his profession as a veterinary surgeon. If it could be fixed to the outer rim of a wooden wheel, the rubber tubing might be inflated, so as to yield to bumps enough to absorb their impact on the wheel and thus the rider. It's brilliant thinking, with obvious advantages for wheeled transport other than rail, John Dunlop is astonished to find, when he applies for a patent of his idea, that thirty-five years before another inventor has, yet fails to exploit, its potential. A court case clears the way for John Dunlop and business partner to commercialize their pneumatic tires, transforming travel. Not a man to seek fame or fortune, John Dunlop sells most of his stake in the company that bears his name, it going on to win international recognition. Dunlop tires still sell universally. We're welcome to visit and stay with my nephew Chris Sinclair, his wife Lynn, and their daughters. Scotland's her homeland. Chris is born in Switzerland, does most of his schooling in Christchurch, and becomes the soundtrack developer for the movies. They live at Paisley, 
a few miles from Glasgow, our destination. Entrepreneurship is again a feature of the Scots. Here they developed the Glasgow Paisley and Ardrasan Canal, designed to allow shipping to reach Glasgow from the coast. Why not simply dredge the River Clyde instead? They do. But by then, the section of canal between Glasgow and Paisley is already built before funds run out. It never does link with the coast as planned. In the 1830s, the High Point is carrying 400,000 passengers annually by teams of six horses hauling shallow draft boats quicker along the canal. Yet in 70 years as a viable business, the canal carries cargoes from raw materials to finished goods, grains to textiles, bricks and timber. In 1810, a craft carrying day-trippers overturns, causing 84 deaths. Britain's worst canal boat disaster. The pace of life quickens in Paisley as the railways develop. A line is laid along the canal. Where coal once dominated, the mine shafts are gone. New housing estates spring up in their place. By the 1980s, their inhabitants are commuting to work in the city. A generous cycleway over an impressive modern bridge elevates us high above the River Clyde. Navigable as far as Glasgow, the Clyde flows between banks set in rural splendour. Our eyes follow a small craft working its way downstream. It's along these banks pass such great transatlantic liners on their first voyage to sea. Queen Mary in 1934. Queen Elizabeth in 1938, and in 1967, Queen Elizabeth II. After crossing River Clyde, we're about 10 miles downstream from Glasgow, in the borough of Dunbarton, on our way to Loch Lomond. I spot a vehicle sign written, Funeral Power Ambulance. A little late for resuscitation, no? Harlico has her own reason to grin, delighting in her discovering on a supermarket shelf a can with the label Vegetarian Haggis. It goes down well for dinner at the castle-like YHA Loch Lomond, overlooking the lake. Next day, we set our sights on cycling a hundred kilometres, but not so as to hurry a leisurely breakfast. Casting my eyes over the Daily Mirror, an article titled Rome of the Brave attracts attention. A 42-year-old mother soon to cycle 6,700 kilometres raising funds for charity, she herself having survived cancer. The ride is not in her native England, but to be in crossing America from coast to coast. She plans to finish at New York, six years to the day since her diagnosis of incurable cancer. Jane Tomlinson had already raised a total of three and a half million New Zealand dollars towards charity. A diagnosis of cancer is not about death, it's about getting on with life, she says. It's still sunny as we pedal along the loch but clouds drooping over high clefts and crags will soon rob us of its comfort. We head for a cafe at a lake ferry terminal. A middle-aged Dutch couple on bicycles chance to be there already. 
we share a concern that despite indications on ordnance survey maps of official camping grounds, some no longer so when put to the test, a couple tell us. Parting ways, we are forewarned to find a suitable site to camp before nightfall. We ride deeper into forest, leaving Loch Lomond behind. This road heads to another loch where we find the Drover's Inn, built of schist and reeking of three centuries of Scott hospitality. As well as cattle drovers, the outlaw MacGregor, Rob Roy, passed by here. Also writers Robert Louis Stevenson and Robert Byrne. Floorboards uneven, creak, sag under the weight of patrons. It suggests little's changed over the centuries. Back on bikes, we follow the Glen Falloch, rushing down towards Loch Lomond, past the Falls of Falloch. When our route coincides with a scenic railway, its rails lead us out into open tussock country reminiscent of the South Island. In other circumstances, this would warrant a photo stop against the splendid backdrop, but I confess we flash past in a shimmer of gleaming spokes. Having lost so much height, it's inevitable that we face going uphill again, towards the moor country of Black Mount and Archelader Pass. We come upon a fully kilted piper. His name? Sandy. Seems to play best with one eye closed. We take the hint and cast a few coins to mingle with others in his hat. Yet, on seeing his scarlet complexion, guess it may go towards another bottle of fine single malt. His image, with kilt, bagpipes, the tussock and loch backdrop, makes memorable the occasion. Sandy knows these highlands and their ways, assuring us we're almost on Rannoch Moor, so we should make it to Glencoe before the rain arrives. We pedal on, 
Upwards at first, our progress encouraged by the skirl of the pipes and soon the fading notes of Scotland the Brave. Once out on the moor, uninhabited and appallingly desolate, we're beyond the range of even bagpipes. Harlico senses it, too, a change of atmosphere, and rides close, rather than race ahead, as she often does. I spare a thought for the cyclist Derek Hawkins, whose memorial we discovered when we set out from Land's End. Derek died during his marathon efforts to go the full way, making it his mission to go end to end between Land's End and John O'Groats as many times as he might manage. Deteriorating weather, moody mountains, make it easy to appreciate how poets, musicians, writers romanticize the land and the highlanders, hardy and heroic though they be, Rob Roy in particular. Our road rises ahead in a gradual curve to a summit at the west end of Rannoch Moor. From there, we descend a long valley slicing through rock to the sea lock of Linnet. We go carefully past a precarious bridge rebuilding, negotiating a steel ramp cantilevered into a gorge. Finally, we drop down among steep, gnarly peaks, as distinctive as they are ugly, crossing a river of white rushing water, the River Coe. We arrive at as convincing a location as any for one of Scotland's most tragic betrayals. It's in the early hours of the 13th of February, 1692 at Glencoe that the visiting clan, the Campbells, on orders of King William III, slaughters their elderly host, Ian MacDonald, and 37 of his kin, burning their dwellings, stealing their livestock. What makes this massacre more evil is its following 12 days of merrymaking, entertaining the Campbells, whose response is, turn on their host. That this be punishment ordered by the monarch only makes matters worse, still deeply engraved in the Highlanders' psyche. And all this at the behest of a king whose subjects won't sign their allegiance to him. The massacre provokes protest in song and prose, adds to the foreboding as we ride beside the glens where it happened. We turn down a side road leading to Glencoe, YHA. Their leaky-looking shed promises little protection from the forecast rain. Gathering up pannier bags and other bits of gear, the sense of this being in New Zealand overtakes me. The brooding forest, the cone-shaped peak rising through the trees. From the bottom of the pannier bags, Harlico produces a stray packet of energy food. We've done 108 kilometres for the day at an average speed on the ride of 17.2 kilometres per hour. We haven't the motivation to go uphill to find a shop, so it's credit to Harlico for making a passable concoction from what little we have. It's been seven hours in the saddle, so for once it's a blessing to escape conversation in the hostel, kitchen and dining room. There's no need to pay rapt attention. A veteran hosteler enjoys sharing his adventures in a loud voice and long repertoire. We happily doze at the dinner table, and I never do catch the last of its great alpine exploits. After breakfast next morning, he approaches, neatly attired, topped off with a tartan hat. 
He asks questions about our previous day's ride, which I answer briefly. My responses evidently strike a chord, he says. We used to bike up there most weekends from Paisley on fixed-wheel bicycles. We'd climb Ben Nevis or one of the others and cycle home for work on Monday morning. Eventually he goes his own way. Now, where was I? Ah, yes, loading the bikes for the next stage of our adventure. Among an estimated 4,000 who cycle each year from either Land's End or John O'Groats to the other. Oh, this summer time is coming And the trees are sweetly blooming And the wild mountain time All around the blooming heather Will you go? find out what's in store same time next week on Historic Souvenirs broadcast on Free FM 89.0 proudly supported by New Zealand On Air Here's to Scottish whiskey Whiskey is the thing It makes you feel so risky It makes you laugh and sing so let's all have a kelly and have a lot of fun. Let's drink to good old whiskey, there's a drown for everyone. Now whiskey is the devil, so some people say. But that's a lot of nonsense, for we're all here today. No evil thoughts among us, just 
out to have some play. So drink your good old whiskey and we'll chase our cares away. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.